This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to this God's Plain episode. <laughs> Thanks to all those. You missed a this, so I had to go. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like, subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Gregory, how is this going? <laughs> Thank you for supplying for my lack of this or thisness. I think that I heard yeah. you say this. Is that, demo- I said, is that a demonstrative pronoun? Uh, yeah. I feel like I had to balance. Is that what that is? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember what things yeah. are called grammatically in English because I feel like I never learned English grammar. I just half remember yeah, what things true. are called in other foreign languages that I've made halting attempts at mastering. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the this was so declarative that I felt like I had to soften it um, by, by backing off a bit. So thank That's you for, uh, for really encouraging me to step into the thisness of my own life and of the lives of those whom we meet along the way. So um, yeah. Cheers. Doing well. How are you? Yeah, well, heck, 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 doing well. I mean, hexaity, right? This is the, the Scotus kind of a sense of individual essences, the, the thisness of things. Um, Gerald Manley Hopkins, a great Je- a Jesuit poet, talks about, you know, the Christ place in 10,000 places. And he has a sense of like the specific dappled things because he's got the Scotistic kind of stuff, even though he's a Jesuit. So, yeah, we're, I'm just encouraging you to, to take advantage, uh, as all of our listeners are excited, about your, your Scotistic um, hexaity and that uh, yeah. action. But that is not what we're talking about. And we're not even going to get to what we're talking about yet, although everyone can probably imagine what we're talking about because you've probably just seen it on the thing. But um, you are not in America. I'm I am not. in America right now. I'm in, yep. Wis- I'm in Wisconsin, the middle of America, America Central. You could say the capital of America in terms of cows or something, cheese and all of this. And you, though, you are not in America during this great festive holiday where we celebrate fist pump, blow up small parts of our country. Where right, are you right yeah. now? I'm not. I'm in Berlin. Um, I guess this is a sensitive subject, but for a period of time there in the 20th century, this city was divided among four sovereign nations, one of which was America. So in a certain sense, I'm in a place which historically was associated with America, though not in a kind of typical colonial way. I have no idea why I'm talking about this. Yeah, I'm in Berlin. I'm studying German and it's going well. And I'm not experienced, you know, like sometimes people say when you travel to Europe, you encounter a lot of anti-American sentiment. I haven't encountered so much anti-American sentiment as like kind of bewilderment. People are like, what's going on in your country? Mm. It's, it's like, it's hard to say slash I have no idea. And I look at them and I say, um, it's also hard to say for me slash I make a studied habit of avoiding news items as if we're pertaining to the United States of America, since they are for me an occasion of sadness and anger. Yes. So maybe you and I could speculate wildly about the theme, but as to the factual basis, no idea. Um, so that's all to say, yeah, things are going well. Yeah. Yeah. Things are going well. That's great. That's great. Um, and as, as our, as our viewers or listeners can tell, listeners can't tell, but if you can picture an American flag right now, there's an American flag here. We have an Eagle. Um, we're good to go. This is a great day for our nation, a great week to celebrate in this sort of thing. And so, uh, I imagine there's lots of people having, or have had barbecues and, and such things. Um, we're the 4th of July, the birth of a nation, um, 1776, what have you. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a great time to celebrate. Well, it's an interesting time to celebrate. And we thought we'd talk about Catholic patriotism, the patriotism of Catholics in America. And to do that, though, um, first, everyone has, you know, 4th of July memories, I suspect, um, and particular family traditions and such. So uh, fireworks, depending on where you grew up. I grew up mm-hmm. in New York, so you weren't allowed to do anything. 
mm. uh, and that involved anything. It's a, just, <laughs> you know, well, you, you could give eight to 9% of your, your purchase power to the state uh, through taxation. Um, our sales tax was 8% when I was growing up, which was insane because I was in Buffalo and I knew this money was just going straight to New York City. Uh, just, they were taking our power from Niagara Falls and taking it to New York City and they were taking our money. Everything was going straight to New York City and we got nothing from them as far as I could tell except crime and blue and the blue waves of government. Um, so it was, a, it was already a canodic existence in Buffalo. We already had a sense of, of the kind of the, the, the we shall decrease so that the New York City shall increase moment, mm -hmm. John the Baptist thing. But yeah. um, what it meant that we couldn't have fireworks for anything. So we had, yeah. I mean, sparklers, if you call, which is kind of like setting a piece of metal on fire uh -huh. so that it kind of sparks a bit. I mean, you can do that with a microwave. But um, <laughs> we went to Canada sometimes over the summer and we got fireworks and it was called, it was, it was again, you weren't really allowed to have fireworks there, but you could. We were on a beach and we got something called the family bomb pack. And uh, <laughs> I was maybe 12, or 12 at the time. And you think a family bomb pack, first you think bombs are sweet, and then you think family, oh, this means mom's happy with it. So you already know what this is going to be like. And it was these little, these little things you'd put on the beach, you'd set them off, and they would just kind of set on fire. Uh -huh. It was like if you just put a piece of like rolled up newspaper and then just lit it on fire yourself. <laughs> that was a firework. It was the most like disappointing moment in my 4th of July history. These kind of yeah. like sputtering, sputtering, flaming piles on the beach was like fireworks so that's my that's my enduring fourth of july memory is the family bomb pack um but uh what do you do you have family family fourth of july memories particularly could be food poisoning uh <laughs> could be you know death of a, what it could be anything um i have no particular fourth of july memories from you know the family hearth um I don't think that my family was as American as your family, or at least I don't think my family was as, as consciously or intentionally American as your family. From the way that you describe your family, your family was pretty bang the drum, go America, which I respect from a distance, not in the sense that I'm trying to keep that distance. I'm not trying to observe that distance. I'm just, I'm just commenting on the fact of that distance. Um, but uh, once, once we entered the order, I think the American vibes were really turned up. Uh, and I don't know exactly yeah, why that to. is the case. Maybe it was because of the proximity of, you know, yourself, Father Patrick and others of a similar pro-America ilk, but things became decidedly more patriotic from, yeah. you know, July of 2010 onward. And I, and I really like the, um, the Dominican civil holiday, uh, celebration format because we're accustomed to celebrating yes. religious holidays. And when you celebrate a religious holiday, it's awesome. Liturgically, it can, it can be like very thick. And sometimes you experience it as heavy because weight of glory, uh, these mortal mm -hmm. frames cannot bear much. Uh, but when it comes to like Thanksgiving or the 4th of July, you have a mass. That mass lasts like 37 minutes. And then afterwards, you play football and eat large sides of beef and blow things up and then just hang out. And it's great. So the civic holiday in the order was for me a kind of yeah, a kind of patriotic renaissance. So I was glad to have discovered that within these sacred climes, America can be celebrated in very festive ways. Yes, rock, flag, and eagle. Um, okay, so, uh, but there might be some, there might be, some people might be saying, now, hold on a second. This sounds a little jingoistic, and these guys are getting too excited. There might be some fist pumping. They might be setting out fireworks inside their rooms. Um, so that we talk about, just, you know, step back and look at, well, what is patriotism for Catholics, and how ought we to do this, or how ought we to think about our relationship to our country, both excitement and, and questioning, you know, uh, it's a, mm -hmm. what's that? 
Gaudium et Spes or something. Man raises questions. Um, so we thought we'd talk about patriotism because it is a virtue, right? And think about what patriotism is and then talk about American patriotism and then Catholic patriotism and those kind of things to think through, to celebrate this, but also to to ask ourselves as Catholics, like, are we on board for everything? Is, is America just God's country, as the collect says, um, as we'll read later today. Um, so, uh, Father Gregor, could you, patri- patriotism, you wouldn't think that Thomas Aquinas says anything about patriotism or fireworks or America. Not explicitly, of course, implicitly he does, right? Um, what, yeah. what is, what is, what is patriotism? Is it, is it just like parades and fireworks and this bizarre, you know, 18th century Mason, Mason sort of thing? Or is it something, is this a virtue of power of the soul that we ought to practice? Um, uh, great question. Um, for those, you know, listeners slash viewers, they were in no wise led to believe that, um, the second option was the more likely of two options. I think they're like, he's definitely going to go for the 17th century Masonic answer. There's, there's no, there's no doubt about it, but uh, to disappoint you, I apologize. Also, I'd like to set the record straight. Sometimes I'm made fun of on account of the fact that on this podcast, I will say big words, but I, I think that you're up there with me. Uh, in this in this episode so far, you've used the word hexaity, canonic, and jingoistic. So, for our listeners at home, know that know that I have company in my obscurity. Okay, and you can tell Father Patrick at your leisure, so that way we can suffer persecution as a unit. Um, uh, so, patriotism is in fact a virtue, as no one would have guessed. Uh, but patriotism is in fact mm-hmm. a virtue. It's, it goes by the name of piety or pietas in Latin. And when Saint Thomas talks about the virtue of justice. He says, justice is what we owe to the other on account of the fact that it is due. So I recognize something about the other individual, something about our relationship, something about maybe exchanges that have transpired between us. And in recognition of those facts, I also recognize that I owe something to him. So in the context of our life vis-a-vis superiors, okay, We make this recognition with respect to God, with respect to country, with respect to parents, with respect to superiors, and we have different virtues for each of those relationships. So religion regards God, obedience regards superiors. But then when it comes to our country and our parents, we owe them a kind of piety, all right? Which is related to the word, you know, that we would ordinarily associate with piety or devotion, okay? So it's a kind of like, a recognition of the superiority of the other, which motivates a response in love or devotion, a kind of promptitude in the giving of oneself back. And um, why? Well, because like one will note with the virtue of religion, we owe both country and parents a debt of gratitude f- just based on the mere fact that they've brought us into existence, right? So God, it is supremely true of God that he's brought us into life, you know, he's brought us to be, uh, or he's made us to be. He's brought us into existence. Speak clearly, Father Gregory. Um, but then when it comes to our, our parents and our country, we can say in an extended sense, in an analogical sense, that they too have made us to be, right? They have given us existence and we owe for them or we owe to them a debt of gratitude on account of this fact. So what we're, what we're all really saying with patriotism is that we recognize a relationship and in the context of that relationship, we stand um, vis-a-vis our country, vis-a-vis our parents in a position of, of a debtor, right? So, so we owe them some debt of gratitude, of recognition, of, yeah, something along those lines. And that's all that we're basically saying. So it doesn't have to be, again, we don't have to go straight to banging the drum and lighting the rockets, although we can do that, right, certainly. But I think it's just, it should start in simple ways along the lines of justice. I think that's that's such an important point about 
Um, it's a it's a natural thing. The virtues have often many virtues, cardinal virtues especially, are natural things. So that for like worship for Thomas is a natural aspect that just every human should do and feel they need to do and ought to do just in the way that you'd render justice to someone by not taking their stuff. You render justice to God by offering him what is due to him, just as we offer it. Due. And patriotism is this uh, the piety aspect of, of rendering what is due to the country. And I think it's easy to think of our parents gave us so much and therefore we give piety to our parents. God has given us being, um, we render piety to him. But then there's this middle one. I think that's because we are social animals. Uh, we're zoon politikon, as Aristotle says, and that's, we're political animals and not in the sense of like, you know, backstabbing and all this kind of thing, but that we live in, we live more than just in our families. We live in a community. And that that teaches us how to speak a language, particularly how to uh, address ourselves to others, uh, in a sense, coats us or brings out, I should say, brings out the perfections of us as we are. So we are, you know, I'm a Chapman, I'm an American, and I'm a, a Catholic, right? These kind of identities that bring out more of me in particular ways. And that patriotism is this appreciation of of those things that make you who you are, right? And that's a good, it's a very good thing um, because we are, now I suppose not every, well, this is interesting. I mean, this debt needs to be rendered, but some people live in countries that are not, you know, I mean, if, imagine if you're in Germany, for instance, so patriotism in 1943 or something would be difficult. Um, but even in those circumstances, there is, there is a debt in a way, right? You still have to give, debt where debt's due in some ways. So what, what would be, when we think about imperfect nations, you know, what, mm -hmm. is, what is still involved in patriotism there, do you think? Yeah, I think the analogy with parents is helpful in these circumstances mm. because people's parents are on a kind of spectrum from the holy, like St. Therese's parents seem to be very holy. I mean, they're saints, so they were very holy, um, to like the moral ingrates among us. Yeah. Um, so regardless of how good your parents are, you still owe them a debt of gratitude on account of the fact that were they not to have come together in conjugal union, you wouldn't be. Um, and you might think that your existence isn't ideal. You might wish that your existence were otherwise. But still, you can't, you can't make those wishes. You can't formulate those desires, except that you are. So you being is the very ground floor of all further human activity. So we need to recognize that. And, and we don't have to feel warm and fuzzy about it but we just need to acknowledge it because it is the case. And our lives get better to the degree or the extent that we are reconciled to what is. So if we get in the habit of denying reality or, or turning our back on the fact of the matter, then we're gonna live in a kind of tense, stressful, ugly rebellion against the state of affairs. But even if the state of affairs isn't ideal, we need to recognize that because again, only the truth bears grace. So if we're going to live within this world um, in a way that's fruitful and constructive, if we're going to play well or play nobly the hand that we've been dealt, then we need to know like what cards are at stake, who's seated around the table and how we relate to them. So I think um, when we talk about patriotism, we're making a similar recognition. So again, countries are on a spectrum from you know the very saintly to the morally ingrate. And that's lamentable in certain instances. Uh, and I think that people who come from countries which have not distinguished themselves for their virtue 
are embarrassed by that fact, and it makes it difficult for them to engage in the world stage without overcorrecting and making a kind of, yeah, muddle of all of it. But yeah, I mean, that's just, it's just what it is. Okay. And I think that patriotism just starts with what it is. Patriotism just says, okay, here we are. And next step will always and everywhere depart from the fact that here we are. So when I talk about loving my country, I'm not saying I think my country is better than other countries necessarily. I'm just saying this country is mine. And on, a, mm -hmm. on account of the fact that it is mine, yes. I ought to love it. Um, or I just love it, simply so called. So it's not a comparative claim. It's just the recognition of what pertains to your good or what constitutes your yep. good or what lays the groundwork for your good. And then moving on from there. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's, and so, um, that's right. We're, and we're, we're inclined to be American exceptionalists, I suppose, um, as you might be like family exceptionalists. Um, so pine exceptionalists versus Chapman exceptionalists, but, um, and each country as we go out, we've, we've been around different countries and there are aspects of, of different countries that you live in that you might say, you know, they actually do this better sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I remember over in England, um, they have what's called, they have a pub culture over there. So it's, it's a place, it's a public space that you can go and people can talk because it, British people in general don't talk to other people. Um, but this is a space where anyone could just come and talk to you. And it was like a laid back kind of thing. And we don't have, we don't have, it's not a coffee house. Uh, it's not a bar. It's just, it was a, it was an institutional space and a way of social communication that the Brits do, um, well, and just Americans, we just don't have this, this part. So each, I mean, each, there are certain countries and certain, and that's just a, that's a trivial example, but it's, it's one I think is attentive to knowing the boundaries of when strangers are strangers, but also having a space where the community can come around and your neighbors can talk to you as the, as they do there. And it was weird as an American initially when a British person would hear, overhear a conversation, just wander over to your table and just start saying, Oh, I heard you were talking about uh, Christians and martyrdom and such. I was thinking about, and I, I thought, well, you know, what's going on here, but it, it was a space. And I think they, that, that was a beautiful aspect to, to the British culture. You could say, um, there were other things like less clear that were exciting. Like for instance, food is flavorless. Um, <laughs> So that's fine. Uh, and each of countries, but in America, you know, there are, there, of course, we'll get to the, the, you know, the negatives you could say in a way. Um, but it's fourth, you know, fourth of July week, weekend, uh, time, uh, space, octave. Uh, <laughs> and it's good to think about, you know, what, what is, yeah, what's distinctive? What's, what are we thankful for? What are the good things about America? Um, and I think of two, like, so this is American patriotism before we get to Catholic patriotism. Um, one, I know it's cliche, but freedom is, is good. You know, I mean, freedom is, is, is good. I know we talk about obedience and we talk about uh, being against modern autonomy and, and all the kind of, you know, liberalism and the way that it's maybe the individual subject is, has his own total freedom from anything, his freedom of indifference, you know, and, and we're untethered from all objective reality and hierarchies. All fine, all fine. Totally agree, <laughs> more or less, um, as much as a Kantian can. But at the end of the day, we are a nation that has been particularly gifted with giving freedom to individuals to develop and flourish or destroy themselves as they do in most of our modern. We have the we have the, the conditions of the possibility to grow in true virtue in a in a way that maybe other countries and other places and other historical time periods haven't. That that freedom is freedom is and it's a burden, it's a task, and it's something we're proud about, and something we have to fight for, um without getting political. But it's there's some the the political condition of of freedom in our country is one thing that i take i take very seriously and remind myself that it's it is a word that matters and it's i'm thankful for that and also um american american america 
is mostly a sort of middle America kind of, we're not a class, we have class kind of feeling, but not in the way that other countries do in my experience. Americans are generally more open, more friendly, more, less class conscious, except in certain parts of New England, say, or something. But in general, if I'm an American, whether I'm in Wisconsin, or whether I'm in Pennsylvania, or whether I'm in Wyoming, or whether I'm in Florida, I can more or less talk to anybody. You know, there's, it's a, we, we might have different accents, but we're all kind, we're all, we're all kind of friendly with each other. Um, there's a sort of American openness um, that might be offensive to some Europeans, might feel like you're too personal immediately. But I, I like that. That it's a country that we're all kind of, we feel like we're on the same page in some way. Uh, and that in egalitarianism in a way, even though we have necessary structures and hierarchies, um, you know, there, there is this, there is some kind of feel to us being all just America. We're all the same politically, you know, in this way, even though we may not have all the same rights or exercises that. So this is my two kind of, what, what are your, what, what are you thankful for America? Or maybe they're the same things you have, or what do you, you know, what, what's particularly fist pumping worth of America? Yeah. Um, I, uh, just apropos of the last thing that you said with kind of like American relaxedness, I don't know if that's a noun, who cares? Mm -hmm. Um, but the American sensibility, the kind of democratic sensibility that you can talk to anyone about most things and that's okay. Uh, I, I have found that in living in Switzerland, presently living in Germany, uh, depending on the language, right. There are, there are kind of, um, yeah, various forms of formality and the formality is used as a way by which to kind of safeguard courtesy. Um, but it also has a way by which of distancing you from the other person so that whenever you engage with the other person, you're cognizant of a certain distance. And I found in the French speaking world, um, you know, like I'll constantly tell people the, the differences between like when you vous voyez and tutoyer, it's like, do you refer to somebody as like a kind of thou, or do you refer to somebody as a kind of you? Um, and then in German, the difference, you know, between yes or no do, on do, you know, like do yeah. and Z. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, I find even when I tell people, you know, like, you know, you can, you can tutoyer, uh, go for it, please. I'd encourage you to. People are still show a certain reticence on account of the fact that I'm a priest, um, on account of the fact that I'm different or that I'm older than them or whatever it is. Whereas in America, our sensibilities are very, are very, yeah, are just not similar. Um, so I've just taken now to when people ask me how I want to be addressed, I just say like I'm American. <laughs> it's like we only You've have one mode of discourse. Yeah, exactly. It's just like uh, we only have one mode of discourse, and so you can address me accordingly. Um, and I'd be disappointed if you didn't. So, um, yeah, I, I do love that kind of democratic sensibility. It can take on um, a somewhat negative aspect insofar as it it can be like a little bit anarchical or a little bit socialistic in that we want to level all distinctions, even legitimate distinctions or even distinctions, which actually safeguard certain aspects, you know, blah, blah, blah. But whatever. I, I, I do like that tendency. I'm American. I mean, it's, I, I like being American. That's basically what I'm saying when I say that. I'm not making a comparative claim. I'm just saying that I am what I am. And then the other thing that I would say recently that I've grown to appreciate is that people talk a lot about the culture war in America. Um, and I've found that in other places where there hasn't been a culture war, usually what that means is that secularization is happening unchecked and with the complicity of the church. <laughs> so like usually like <laughs> the process of secularization takes yeah. place more violently, more quickly, uh, more astonishingly, whether that's Quebec or the Netherlands or Colombia or, you know, Switzerland. It, that's that's just been my experience. And mind you, I don't know those settings as well as one might, but it seems that way to me based on my cursory, like cursory review of the facts. Um, 
So in, in America, people think about it as a kind of hostile ground or they think about it as a kind of contentious public space. But I think what that shows, honestly, is that we have a kind of belief in the discourse. Even if we find ourselves at loggerheads, we think that arguing actually matters to some degree or extent. Like we wouldn't do it if we didn't think that it mattered. If we all felt that there was an inevitable tendency of political discourse and that we were slouching towards that whatever endpoint and there's nothing that we could do about it, then that would shape American political, political discourse in a particular way. But we don't see that. We find that you know, while there is a general tendency, sometimes you know, certain gains are realized, which shock everyone and their brother when they happen. CF, you know, Roe v. Wade. CF Dodds. Um, yeah. Yeah, CF Dodds. So I think, that, I think that there's a kind of, I don't, I, don't, I, think, I don't think that I want to call it an optimism about the discourse, but I think that there's a, a committedness to political discourse in America, which is, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's right. No, that, those are, that's a good way of, of teasing out the democratic aspect and the fact that we still, you know, the culture wars, you know, it's not good or bad. Everything's dangerous. is one of my, my phrases. Um, and, and so there are good, it's just dangerous, but it, but it has its, its good parts to it that it's not just uh, Oh, I wish we, you know, we shouldn't have these culture wars and on the open and your good point to raise. The other option is that we just secularize and just disappear. So maybe it's better to fight about something, even if you might lose, um, as opposed to just letting getting steamrolled. Now, switching over uh, to the last part is so bang, bang, bang the drum. It's time to go to the uh, um, to the to the, uh, the ringing the bell. Maybe that'll be the mm. analogy here. So do we ring, we bang the drum for America? Do we ring the bell, the sanctus, you know, to bell for America, Catholic patriotism? And I just thought this is. Um, so the, the preface, if you were in mass on, on 4th of July, um, which is not a holy day of obligation in any form, shape or form. In fact, it's an optional memorial, um, but it has a tremendous preface. If you, if you were there and your priest celebrated this preface, and I lead into it because I think it's, there's something absolutely absurd about it. Um, and part of the preface dialogue uh, says this. Um, he spoke to us as about um, uh, uh, Christ. Uh, he spoke to us a message of peace. Okay, and taught us to live as brothers and sisters. So far, so good, although dangerous, moving in a bad direction here. Uh, his message took form. I haven't looked at the Latin here. Um, form in the in the vision of our founding fathers. Oh, wait a minute. As they fashioned a nation where we might live as one. His message lives on in our midst as our task for today and a promise for tomorrow. So uh, his message, the gospel. So the gospel takes took form right in his in the kingdom obviously the kingdom of god hold on in the vision of our founding fathers as they fashion you might have thought that the message of the gospel took form in the kingdom of god and the founding of the ecclesia day the church but it turns out that that was the stepping stone to the real kingdom and new jerusalem which was seen in the vision of our founding fathers and that as they fashioned a nation for total unity, not with God, the Father, the union of, of you know, the union of, of, of the church, but rather the union forged in blood of Lord Lincoln's uh, union that is now the full instantiation of uh, the kingdom of God. Now, that is, shall we say, interesting mm -hmm. um, and might give someone pause to say, uh, now, should we be this excited about the American project? And I remember reading a while ago, there was a, uh, maybe our listeners uh, recognize this name, John Rao, R-A-O, and he wrote a little article. He had a, he called Founderology. His, and I mean, he probably never saw this sort of, this preface, but I mean, here it is. Um, 
and he he wrote a piece that's always stuck in my tongue. It said church fathers, no founding fathers versus church fathers, six, six, six to zero. Um, and it's a total take, you know, a question of like Americans should be very uncomfortable about any sort of patriotism. American flags and churches should be removed because this is just so, and you feel like might have a point. But what do you think? So as as Catholics, you know, um, is America the instantiation and the full flourishing of the gospel and the kingdom of God? Or perhaps should we say that American flag chasubles are not necessarily the best thing. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to shoot the middle here, not because I want to be lukewarm and therefore vomited forth from the Lord's... Who does he vomit forth from his mouth? The Laodiceans? I don't remember. Revelation something, two or three. He just he lays into a bunch of cities. The one that he does give like universally high praise to, though, is the city of Philadelphia. One, yeah. What's up? Um, Phil so Philadelphia, Phil yeah, Philly comes out on top. Um, city of Liberty, by the way. So, whoa, wait a minute. That's an implicit, su implicit support of this because that's 1776 founding. Turns out that, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to rethink this. But carry on. Turns out that <laughs> we are, you are in the gospel. Okay. Um, so my my general sense is that we should be like recollected in our own limitations. I'm going to make an analogy. Um, I hope that my sisters don't mind the fact that I'm bringing this up, but. My mom, you know, always expressed a certain degree of worry for my sisters that they would get married, that they would marry good men, that they would have big families. And for like every day, week, month that went by where they weren't married, she would express her worry, her anxiety with greater and greater urgency. And then she would try to justify it. And she'd be like, it's just because you have such high standards. You know, it's just because you're looking for the perfect guy, which she was, you know, she was keen on. She didn't want to debase their expectations, but she was and just they, saying and that. they found the perfect men in each case. Exactly. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, Jimmy. Um, but uh, I, I usually kind of came back with, I don't, I don't know if it's because of our high standards. I think it's because of our weird standards. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there are good things about being a pine. There are weird things about being a pine, but I don't think that we have to make it out to be like everything is the best. And therefore we begin our arguments from the principal position that everything is the best. I think it's fine to be like a little bit humble or a little bit modest about our political achievements like democracy seems pretty good is it the ideal political dispensation mm -hmm. i don't know you know plato didn't think so aristotle didn't think so saint thomas aquinas didn't think so lots of other people in the western tradition up until like yesterday didn't really think so and that's that's fine like we don't we don't have to prove them wrong and we don't have to step into our democracy in such a way that we say it's the best imaginable and everyone else who says otherwise you know here's the bottom of my shoe I, I just don't think that we need to say that. I think that we can admit here we are in the 21st century. We're weak and we're wounded. We're making a go at it. I think that our effort is valiant. I think that there are parts of American political discourse which aren't ideal. But, you know, we've been around since 1776. I think the only current political dispensation of note, which has been around longer, is what, Great Britain? Um, so insofar as enduring yeah. worth is a sign of a good constitution, I think that we've done okay, right? Um, now, mind you, the 19th century for Europe was a wild time. And so that put a lot of people back at square zero. But OK, you know, we've done something. And like you said, we've provided a framework in which people can enjoy a modicum of liberty um, that they can attain to a certain common good. But I think that that common good is situated within a hierarchy of common goods, right? Like the common good of the family is situated within the common good of the polity and the common good of the polity is situated within the polity, like within higher common goods, one of which is the common good of the church. And so I think that we, we want to draw some distinctions. We want to be modest and humble about our you know, political nature and our political achievements. But I think that even whilst doing so, we can, we can just simply say that we love it because it's ours, 
because it has attained to certain achievements. Um, but also because, yeah, we have, we have bright hopes for a future in which it will endure or in which it will be renewed or in which dot, 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 you fill in the blank. So I would say that I, I shoot a kind of middle course, but you probably have more to say on that. No, I mean, I, I think that's, that's right. Virtues in the mean. And I think, um, the, the dangers of, of the, of the American political life is that because we're so democratic and such is that everything becomes politics. And we talked about this, even in the church discourse, we just subjugate to this. And I think an Augustinian feel, it's always good to be reminded of, of uh, Holy Father Augustine a bit on the, the two cities, you know, the city of man, the city of God, so that, that these are distinct and they're ordered and that um, the city of man is aiming at the city of God. It is not the instantiation of the city of God, um, that the kingdom of, of God is out there and it's from him. But that we are, we try our best to get there, but not as like making it here, but rather as in aiming for it and getting people there. I think book five of the, um, it's a book five where he talks about Emperor Constantine, the, the, the emperor, the Christian emperor's job is to, is to shepherd people into the church to get them to heaven. That's his fundamental job is to like, say, I finished my job here and got you into heaven. That's it. And it's this beautiful, I think, uh, was it, I'm not, um. I think Charlemagne was supposed to sleep with it under his pillow or something. None of these are true, that part. Um, but it's a beautiful account of the, the, the political job is not to like make the kingdom of God here, the immunitization of the Christian eschaton, as Eric Vogelin said. Boom, big words there, my friend. But rather to say it's elsewhere. It's elsewhere. And to just be reminded that no matter how good we feel like we have it here, there are plenty of things, Charles Kiro, um, black and white, shades, light. And But not to get down about that, there are plenty of goods, but there's still dangers. And I suppose as Catholics, it's a good reminder to us that, uh, yeah, politics is not, it's not, it's not, human politics is not the end. Divine politics is, the, is what we're going for and our participation in that as opposed to the electoral process, that kind of thing. Any final words on uh, Catholic patriotism before we head off? I would say God bless America. Fantastic. And pray for our country. This is a day or a week that it's a good time. If you can find a bald eagle to hug it, go and do that. Um, so hug an eagle today. Okay. Uh, thank you again for all our supporters. If you'd like to offer, donate to our work, check us out on patreon.com forward slash Godsplaining. If you have uh, Instagram photos of hugging eagles, you know, bald eagle selfies, put them in, send them, send them to us. Um, no one will see them, but we will. And that'll be exciting. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, like subscribe, leave five-star reviews, whatever you leave, anything. Visit godsplain.org to shop our merchandise and get dates and information for upcoming Godsplain events. So, uh, a happy 4th of July octave or what have you to all of you and families and such to ask us to pray for our country. We've, uh, we've had some excitement recently and there's some good directions, there's bad directions, but there's always directions for, for God. So we, uh, thank you and we'll pray for you. Pray for us.